Our scripture reading from Romans is just one verse this morning, um, Romans 12, uh, verse 9. Um, By the mercies of God, uh, we are called to live this Christian life, and the greatest call, the highest call, is for us to love God and our fellow man. So let our love be genuine. But then the very next thing is that Paul says, Abhor what is evil. Let your love be so genuine that if you are honest about what is evil and honest about what is good, abhorring the one and pursuing the other by His grace. So this is God's Word for us today. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I want to begin uh, this morning by uh, you quoting some words from Alexander Pope. And I want to define one word before, before I read the portion of the poem. Because you need to know what it means, but it's a little unusual. And that is the word mean. M-I-E-N. And it means a a certain look or a manner. A a look or a manner. This is what Alexander Pope writes. Vice is a monster of so frightful mien as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet, seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Pope recognizes that there, there is in us a capability of sliding into a tolerating of evil and even enjoying it, embracing it. And on the other hand, uh, to become insensitive and dull, not able to recognize what is truly good, what is beneficial, what is important for us. The first step in genuine love, and these are strong words, the first step in genuine love uh, is to abhor evil, to hate evil. Love is not soft. It is powerful to abhor evil and to hold fast, to cling to what is good. My theme this morning is may Jesus hold you so fast or hold you fast so that you can battle evil and pursue the good. Jesus holds you fast so you can battle your evil and pursue the good. Well, hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. For love to be genuine, we must start by taking sin seriously. And when we talk about, when Paul talks about abhorring evil, I think our tendency is to want to think about the evil that is out there. 
There is evil in our society. Abhor that! Write blog posts about it. Get excited about it. Get angry about it. Or we might think about the evil that's in the people around us. That's worth getting a little excited about too, isn't it? But he's saying to become, uh, to abhor your own evil. The evil that is in here. Now, now notice, this is the same person that's being referred to here, the person that, that has evil in their hearts, but also is able to pursue and cling to what is good. This describes the Christian. Both sides of this describe Christian. We want to look at, at how it is that, that sin does remain in us and, and, and how it expresses itself in th- three ways. We want to look at this for just a moment this morning. The first is what our confession calls the remaining corruption of sin. The remaining corruption of sin. That is the sin of your nature. What we might call our characteristic flesh. Our fleshly desires. And even your particular sinful bent. And so a keen question, taking up from Paul's, Paul in, in Galatians chapter 5, is how does your flesh lust, strive, Against the Spirit, how does your particular flesh, how do you come at odds then with the work of the Spirit? At odds and striving against the Spirit. Again, in chapter 7, Romans, sin dwells in us. We know that. There is a desire to do good and we praise God for that. But at the same time, we still prefer at times to choose evil. We have this this corruption. We have appetites. It might be for a person who we're not married to. It might be for a buzz. It might be for a full stomach. It might be we just have to be right in any conversation. We have to win. We have characteristic flesh, each of us. What, what is the remaining corruption of your nature, number one? Secondly, then, there are the actual sins that we indulge. And flip back with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this for just a moment. In this race that we're, that we're in, um, we lay aside the weights. We lay aside the weights that can hold us back. But then also there's another problem, and that is the sins which cling so closely. This is not, this is the particular, the actual sins that, that cling so closely. And the meaning of that Greek word, clinging so closely, it's something like this, that skillfully surrounds you. That, that, that sin skillfully and, and with a purpose to deceive you and to overcome you, it surrounds you. There's a personal quality to this. It's like you're in the boxing match with somebody and, and the, he knows you're going to drop your guard and he's waiting for that. And then bam, he's going to hit you. It's the pitcher who knows you can't hit a low and outside slider. So he throws it and you flail away. It is personal. He knows your weakness. This is, this is characterized, uh, this characterizes our, our sins, the sins that we commit. It is different, actual sins for various of us here. For some, for some, it's it's the glance to a woman um, that becomes 
a gaze and then a lustful thought. For others, it's that desire to take a drink. For others, it's just giving freedom to our tongues to destroy the people around us. For others, it's stuffing our tummies with cookies. I mean, it can be anything as innocuous as that. The actual sins. And and then the temptations. And someone I learned this just just yesterday, someone just helped me to see the temptations as the people, places, and things outside of ourselves that we have to avoid. People, places, things outside of ourselves we have to avoid. It, just this morning, I got an invitation um, from somebody I did not know for, uh, to friend me on Facebook. And for some reason, I just said, well, I'll see who this is. And that was, that, was, that was not a friendly invitation. I'll just put it that way. But how easy it would be to stay there. To, to stay there. And, 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 and with a few keystrokes, you can be, you can be in a destructive environment you can also erase your history so nobody has to know. The temptations are so prevalent, they're right there. They sound reasonable, they, sound, they appear to be worth the cost. That is a definition, a good definition of temptation. It's worth the cost. We are to abhor what is evil, even the corruption the remaining corruption in our nature, the particular sins and the temptations themselves. Don't give those temptations room to breathe. Uh, don't give them the light of day like Joseph Lee. Those temptations. Hate what is evil. How, how do you do that? I mean, there are some people who really like peas. And others who really can't stand peas. How do you go from one category to the other? I don't like peas. Well, now I've come to like peas. How does that happen? Well, Paul here is commanding us to, to change our orientation towards evil so that we develop a, revul- develop a revulsion to evil. A d- develop an abhorrence to evil. How do we do that? A couple things I want to think about right here. One, one is to remember that um, our God is a consuming fire and God will hold us uh, accountable. You will stand, be- you and I, all people will stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account, Jesus says, even for every word that comes out of our mouths. So Jesus cautions you um, to ask this kind of question, what is that sin really worth? Is that worth standing then as, a, as one who's been guilty of that before, before God? Paul puts it this way, we all will appear um, and, uh, re- before God and receive what is due in our bodies, each one of us. It is true, my dear friends, as we saw in Heidelberg 60, that as rotten and as sinful as we are, we have been covered with the righteousness of Jesus. We are forgiven. We are brought near to God by the blood of our Mediator. It is a wonderful thing. But there also is remaining sin that we must must hold ourselves accountable for. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Does that stop you in your tracks? 
develop a revulsion for evil. The second thing is to reflect on the consequences of evil in your life. Sin um, dangles short-term pleasure while hiding the long-term cost. Sin dangles the, the, short, uh, the short-term pleasure while hiding the long-term costs. I don't mean to pick on men today, but I guess I'm going to do it anyway. Men, um, you, you, women too, you don't toy... You don't toy in your mind with a thought that if you carried it out to its conclusion would destroy your family. You just don't do that. That's a consequence. Consequence that should wake us up. This is what God's Word says. You cannot sin successfully. Your sin will not produce a healthy or a good course. It will not serve you well. Well, that's, that's part of, of what helps us to develop a revulsion for evil. But that's maybe not the direct, most direct route. There, there, we, we, also, we also want to celebrate and pursue and cling to what is good. Um, my wife tells the story about, about a, a mom who's got a little child, and that child has a big old butcher knife in his or her hand, and she's got the blade part, okay, in her hand. And, and, and you come up that, with that child to that child in the kitchen and you want to scream, Stop! Got the knife! You're going to hurt you! You yell at the child, very likely to just hang on to it tighter. So what do you do to get a sharp knife out of a child's hands? You offer her something better. You offer her something better. So she'll drop it. And return to safety. Well, that's, that's what Paul does here as well. You, you learn to hate what is evil, to abhor what is evil by clinging to what is good. By holding fast to what is good. Okay, what is good? What is good? What is the highest good? What is the, if we can put it this way, what is the best good? Who is the best good? Who is the goodest? Who is the best? Jesus gives us a hint here. Uh, he, he uses the same word that Paul does in this, in this, part, of, um, in this part of Romans, this, this verse, um, hold, um, hold fast or cling. He, he used, Jesus uses that same word um, in Matthew where he's quoting um, what God says in, in Genesis uh, chapter 2. Um, the, the husband shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to or shall cleave or shall hold fast to his wife. Think about, think about this term then, hold fast to what is good. Think of it as marriage language. Think of it as, as, as a marriage context there. But let's not think about our own marriages. Let's think about our marriage with Him. Jesus holds fast to you so you can fold, hold fast to Him. How about that? How about that as the first step in this process of despising evil, abhorring evil by clinging to what is good. How about this? Jesus holds fast to you so that you can hold fast to Him. 
and, and pray for a clear spiritual vision to see Jesus for you as you fight evil. And to value what your husband values. You love him because he loves you, so you value what he loves. We love what Jesus loves, but the other part of it is, uh, the Gospel gives us the courage of honesty so that we can see our evil so that we can also overcome the shame and, and the guilt and the sense of futility that we so often have when fighting evil. Because He's holding fast to you so you can hold fast to Him. That's, that's how you fight the grip of evil. He's holding fast to you so you can hold fast to Him. And so you develop a sense of of the beauty of holiness. Flip over with me, please, to to Jude. Uh, That's the second of the last book in the New Testament. It's a little one. Uh, We don't terribly often quote from it. Probably should do so more. Um, At the end of of Jude, there's there's a description of the conflict in which we live in this world. And how do we manage that? Um, and we manage that, look with me at verse 21, by, um, alright, all, all the, the, ver- the main verb in these sentences, 20 and 21, is keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the main verb. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves valuing and appreciating that you are, you are married to Christ. Value that. And how do you do that? You, you, you do that uh, by building up your most holy faith. And you do that by praying in the Holy Spirit. So you, so you keep yourselves in the love of God by building up your faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit. And as you do so, um, you see at the end that, that you, will, you will hate even the garment stained by sin. You'll hate even the garment stained by sin. By sin. So, so how do we do that? We want to build up our faith. We want to remember what is good. We want to remember not only that we are connected to a good, a good husband, but, but all that he brings to us is good. And so we think of a passage like Philippians, building our faith in the power of the Spirit. Spirit, help me see this. Philippians 4, 8, for example. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, this is first of all describing Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So you're building your faith by meditating, considering what is good, and it, it is consummated in Christ, your, your, your husband. It, it, it starts with the one who is the truth, and is righteousness, and is pure. So let's, let's put this to work. This is, I, go, let's go back to, to Romans chapter 12. And, if, and if, if you're doing this, if you're pursuing that relationship with your, with your husband, that he holds fast to you so you can hold fast to him, and if he is unfolding before you all that is, that is pure and true and honorable and just and lovely and all of that, your affections will begin to change. Not just your behaviors, your affections, what you love will change. This is the power of the gospel through Christ. This is wonderful. What you love will change. 
Let's look at these, the following verses, just a few of them, and see what I'm talking about here. This is pointing to Christ. This is pointing to Christ. All right? All right, the, the verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. You see Christ, and the gospel breaks, breaks your pride that expresses itself in merely tolerating other people. Are there any people that you tolerate? Are there any people that you, oh, oh, I'll talk to them if I must? When, when you get this gospel, your toleration uh, turns to genuine affection. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Eyes on Jesus. Deeply loved by Jesus. And so are the people I'm dealing with. Tolerance. Toleration becomes affection. Sets you free. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sets you free. How often do we, do we treat people? If they honor me, I will return the favor. <laughs> I'll wait for some good turns from them and then I'll return the favor, right? Paul says, no, you don't think... Christians don't think that way because the incarnation Christ has come down to us. He has, he has, he has honored the dishonorable and He set the movement for how we relate to one another and so we are able to honor others even when they don't honor us. We are set free. In the next verse, we're no, we no longer serve God just out of duty. We are not satisfied with serving God just out of duty, but with zeal and fervency. Because our hearts are lifted up by the amazing gospel. And, and we, we finally, then we see that we, we see suffering differently. It, it's not, it is not some punishment that God is giving to us because of the way we're acting. Our Father's hands are in this. And so we don't grumble. We, we think of grumbling as dishonoring the very face of God. So we are joyfully patient even in suffering. Hospitality. Hospitality. It is a tough thing. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You, so, so, you, so we no longer are content with just showing hospitality to the people we actually like. <laughs> or maybe we ought to change that. The people we actually like is getting to be a larger number. <laughs> so we are able to show hospitality. Because Jesus has shown hospitality to us and it's beautiful. We're able to do that. Our hearts are open to sharing this hospitality with others. Just as Jesus did. We are, we are learning, we are learning uh, to hold fast to what is good. Well, somewhat briefly, I'm, um, uh, I want to, I want to, I want to change gears a little bit, and, and that is that we are helping others to overcome evil and cling to what is good. It's, it's, that's our, this is in our own heart, but we also are to help others to do that. You are, you are both called and qualified to help others overcome their evil and to cling to what is good. That is part of our calling as God's people. And we see that in, in Romans 15, verse 14. You, you are, Paul has written Romans 7. He's able to do that. And then he's also able to re- write uh, Romans 15. You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Therefore, you are able to instruct one another. 
Paul says, Paul says you can do this. You can be engaged in helping others abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, it's easy to see the other person's evil. <laughs> A little bit harder to be effective and productive in helping them see it, isn't it? I would rather just avoid that. This does not sound like it's going to end well. Let's just not do this part, okay? But when you truly love someone, you hate what harms them. You do. You hate what harms them as they harm themselves and perhaps the people around them. And so you want what's in their best interest all for the glory of God. Although there is a cost. There is a cost. Um, if you are helping someone in an area of particular area of sin, you will in all likelihood at some point get a taste of it yourself. <laughs> what you're trying to help them overcome, you're likely going to experience yourself from them. You're, you're helping someone maybe get over the problem of defensiveness. Have you noticed that it's really difficult for you to take any kind of correction on things and to admit you're wrong? I am not okay. Back off. Wait for another time. Someone is angry and you're trying to help them see their anger. You're going to feel that. But Jesus says, go humbly. Um, He is holding fast to you. Um, so that you can hold fast to him and he will help you because this is his project, not yours. Did you hear that? It is his project, not yours. But the mercy of the gospel, the mercy of the gospel of grace is what prepares you and softens you for this task. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say from Martin Luther. Martin Luther speaks of the gospel-infused heart. And he says that the righteous... Those who have been declared righteous by God because of the righteousness we receive from Jesus, the righteous naturally see their own faults and overlook the faults of others. The better grip you have on the gospel of grace, the more naturally you see your faults. Your eyes are clear now to be able to see reality. But you are also more likely to overlook the faults of others. The righteous, he goes on to say, are eager to overlook their own goodness. Not nothing I have to prove to you. The unrighteous look for good in themselves and evil in other people. You see how the gospel flips us from our natural state? Our natural state is to look for good in ourselves and evil in others. So anyway, this righteousness that we get from Jesus, this gospel-infused heart, makes us far more patient and gentle and courageous. I want to talk just briefly about three different relationships. One is parents with young kids. This is just a couple things to help. Just a couple things here. Um, parents with young children, what attitudes or behaviors do you need to address? And I can even put it this way. What attitudes and behaviors do you really abhor for the glory of God? Can you, do you abhor things for the glory of God? 
Now, my wife and I had just two rules when our kids were growing up initially. And, and they just two rules. And, and, and one of them was we, we would punish direct disobedience. And the other is, in particular, disrespect. So that covers a multitude of things, doesn't it? But, but it's definable. You can see it. You can, you can measure it. You've you, you got something to work with there. Disobe- direct disobedience and disrespect. And so you develop a sense with your kids of clear boundaries, clear consequences, and consistent discipline. Clear boundaries, clear consequences, and consistent discipline. And one of the ways that helped me to do that is when I saw what could be this improperly described as cute behavior of a little one that was really abhorrent, I would think to myself, what would that behavior look like in a 15-year-old? Oh my goodness! She's going to get arrested! She's going to be thrown in jail! And so you address those little things that you see in the little one, by God's grace, extinguish them, by His grace, extinguish them so they don't end up in jail. Shall we be perfectly frank? <laughs> dealing, dealing with parents then of young children. And then for, for older kids, for older kids, um, I'm not going to say much about this, but I do, I do want to make this point. Biblical sexuality is a good worth fighting for starting early. Biblical, in today's age especially, biblical sexuality is a good, it's a good thing to strive for and to start early in the process. I, I, in fact, uh, Jim Zazaro recommended this book at, um, at, at Presbytery a few months ago, or maybe December last month. Um, Preparing Children for Marriage is the name of the book. I've read only half of it, two-thirds of it, but I'm impressed. Um, and this is a good resource to help equip you to teach your children, starting at a young age, about the goodness of sexuality. And I, and I, recommend, it, I recommend it to you. Well, what about peer relationships? Um, and, and I would include in this the marriage relationship. How do we, as married people or with other adult friendships, um, how do we help each other in the abhorrence of evil and the clinging to what is good, the pursuing what is good? I will also put adult children, your adult children, in this category as well. All right, just a couple of thoughts on this one. All of these are worth separate sermons, but at least to whet your appetite a little bit. Let's start Let's start with rethinking the word confront. As my wife said to me yesterday, that sounds so confrontational. Maybe there's a better way to get at this. Then I'm going to confront your evil. The prospects are not good if that's your outfit, that's your desired course. How about, how about some, how let's rethink the word, the whole idea of confronting. You see, sinners who know that Jesus loves them, sinners who know that they have received the righteousness of Jesus are far more humble and listen, remember what Luther taught us, more aware of their own sins than the sins of others. And that's in play when you're speaking to another person about their sin. I'm more susceptible to this than they are. 
And so I go in humbly. And I go in with consideration. How about this for a starter? May I share something with you? The great thing about that question, it's number one, it's getting them ready if they want to talk. Okay, here comes, here comes some bold love, as we used to say. This is going to sting a little bit. But if the answer is no, you'd, you'd be ineffective anyway. If they say, no, I don't want to hear it, well then don't share it. They're not ready. It would be ineffective. So be considerate and sensitive. Don't make everything a confrontation. The second thing is, is look for patterns and not a one-off event. When, when, you, uh, when, you get, when you get a snitty response to a question or in a conversation, probably not wise to launch on that snittiness because you're offended. Probably not wise at all to do that. You're looking for patterns. You're looking for patterns of how they've been harmful to themselves or other people. Don't react to single, single events. Give them some space, some forbearance. And then so you consider it. You're looking for a pattern, not a one-off event. And the third thing is timing. How about coming back to your mate or your friend later on? This is our goal. This is what we want to move to. But come back to your mate or your friend later on with a simple question like this. Earlier, you looked a little upset. Is there anything I can do to help? Well, that may be a conversation starter. And that may get them even to be able to share that they were concerned about this but didn't quite know what to do with it. So you're helping them. Well, we're, we're all in a battle. And I guess my one caution to you, if you're sitting out there and saying, I'm not aware that there's a battle going on. I'm not aware that there's a battle against my spirit and my flesh. I'd be very concerned about you. If you're unaware, um, pray for eyes to see and a heart to know the holiness of God and even the wickedness of your own heart. And then secondly, if this whole thing has sounded just overwhelming to you, if you're thinking about your own corruption, your actual sins, your temptations, and you're overwhelmed, cling to Jesus who is clinging to you. You can face whatever's going on. With, Jim, with Jesus. And if you don't know what this, any of this means, <laughs> if you don't know what it means to, to be married to Jesus or for Jesus to cling to you or for you to cling to Jesus, it, it, this is a great day. You've, you've never asked Jesus to take away your guilt. You've never asked Him to take away your sin. You've never asked Him to give forgiveness and the freedom and adoption of sons. Great day. Great day to ask him that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we cry out to you for your work in our lives. A holy abhorrence of evil and a holy delight in good. And help us to be um, honest even as we know our Savior, and to come um, 
boldly before you, courageously before you. Thank you for your word that restores our sanity week after week. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing the power of the cross.